All right, well, one benefit of following Jesus, and boy, there are many, uh, one benefit in this life is guidance for life. Uh, We would not know what to do with ourselves, what to do with life as we're wandering through the fog, trying to figure out what is true and how to manage relationships and work and all sorts of normal things like this, if the Lord did not clear away the fog for us and give us truth in his word. And that's one benefit we've got this morning that we're going to look at. At. Uh, this morning, what we've done, I've gathered together for you eight Proverbs on friendship. And between sermon series, we're just going to dive in and see what do the Proverbs teach us about one very important aspect of life. Having friends, keeping friends, being a good friend. And as we do that, we probably just need to recognize that we're studying something that the world around us has at this point almost no idea what to do with. If you think about the last 20 years of of just the world around us, uh, we've been taught uh, to be true to ourselves, to find ourselves, and then uh, to almost force ourselves onto other people, whatever our true authentic self is, uh, which that's not going to make good friendships. I'm forcing myself on you, you're forcing yourself on me. That's going to put some stress and strain there anyway. Uh, Many of us, you know, for better or worse, we went to high school and or college and we spent like 8, 10, 12 hours a day. If you lived in a dorm like I did, every waking hour of the day next to other people. And so it was like automatic friends, right? And then you get out in the real world and those people aren't there anymore. And it's like, oh, I never actually learned how to go and make friends because all of these people were just around me all the time and we were always getting along. And so we weren't in a great place around the end of 2019. And then along comes March of 2020, right? Everybody stay home. Nobody go anywhere. No one see anyone. No one make facial expressions. It's not even make eye contact. We're scared of each other, right? And then since we're all stuck at home, maybe it'll help our friendships and relationships if we debate politics and conspiracy theories on the internet. That's a good idea, right? So relationship breakdown, then we come back, and now because we haven't been around people in a while, we're more nervous around crowds. Even something like a phone call or a Zoom conversation makes us more nervous than it used to. And at this point, I think we're all kind of admitting, like, we don't know how to function around each other anymore. And what we need is the Lord to clear away the fog, show us what is a friend, how can I be a good one, who are the people in my life who are really my friend, and guide us in the path of righteousness. So this morning we're going to look then right there. We're going to see uh, three strands that braid together a strong cord of friendship. Uh, The cord that binds friends together is braided with three strands, like these ribbons. Uh, The first one is is loyalty. And then the second braid of the strand is forgiveness. And then the third is gracious words. And so you weave those together, loyalty, forgiveness, gracious words, more loyalty, more forgiveness, more gracious words, more loyalty, more forgiveness, more gracious words. And what you have is a tight cord that will take two friends and bind them together very tightly. And so these eight Proverbs we're going to look at teach us about those three things, loyalty, forgiveness, and gracious words. Let's start with loyalty. We start here because loyalty is also the mark of a good friend. So if you're thinking, what really is a friend? The word loyalty will help you with that. 
And it also explains why they're difficult to find. Let's dive into the first Proverbs first, first two. We'll start with 1717. It says, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. And then Proverbs 18:24 below it says, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. So between those two proverbs, you can compare and contrast a brother from a companion from a friend. The first proverb tells you what a friend and a brother have in common. A friend and a brother are both going to be there for you in hard times when you need them. So you fall on hard times and some of your friends come around to help you and some of your friends don't come around to help you. Now you know who your friends are. And likewise, they don't always follow through, but a brother is supposed to be there for you when you need him. A brother is actually born into that role. A brother, a sister, a sibling, they didn't get to choose you, but they do need to be loyal to you. So you fall on hard times and sometimes family opens the door there. You can see just a little bit, though, that there's a difference. A friend loves at all times. A brother, though, is born for that adversity. And there's a little whisper of the difference. Your friends chose to be your friend. Your brother didn't choose to be your brother. Your brother was born into it. And that is why the second line of the second proverb says there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Why do your friends seem to have more affection for you a lot of times than your brother does? Well, because your brother has to put up with you whether you're great or not, right? Your brother was just born into that relationship. Your friends at least like something enough about you that they chose to be your friends. And so when they're there for you, there'll be more affection in their hearts when they do it. So that's the, the comparison contrast of a brother and a friend. What they have in common is they're both there for you when you need them. Uh, the first line of Proverbs 18.24 shows us the difference between a companion and a friend. It says you can have many companions and still come to ruin right, with no one to help you. But there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. A companion is someone who likes to spend time with you. Uh, maybe, maybe you have a job and you've all got cubicles and you can sit wherever you want in all the different cubicles. And you and one person you work with enjoy being around each other so you make sure to sit in cubicles next to each other. And you try to get assigned to the same projects because you like working together. And maybe you even go out to lunch together or you go out after work together because you like being together. That's a, that's a companion. Or maybe you have a, a group of people that you spend time with, have fun with, take trips with, go out to restaurants with, and just generally enjoy being around. You're over at each other's houses, you laugh together, you have a good time. That's a companion as well. Uh, or maybe you log into the internet and you have 500 to 1,000 people who will at least in the internet world acknowledge that they have a relationship with you and they like to look at pictures of your kids or your life and so they're your, your friend online or your follower online. That's probably a companion also. It, people just like to be around you, you like to spend time together, that's a companion. The proverb here says that you can have many, many people like that. Lots of people at work who just really like you. Uh, you can have a large group of people that you enjoy spending time with. Uh, you can have 10,000 people commenting on your TikToks. And still, 
get kicked out of your apartment and have nowhere to go because none of those people were actually your friend. And there's the difference between a companion and a friend. A companion just likes to be around you, right, because it's fun. But then hard times come, and maybe they're there, maybe they're not. If they're also a friend, though, how do you know if they're not just a companion, but they're also a friend? If they're there for you when you need them. Something hard comes up, and they're there. That's when you know, okay, this person is not just a companion. This person is not just here to be along for the ride because I'm funny or I have a good sense of humor or I have money and I always pay when we go out. This person is there for me, and so they're my friend. Let's move on to Proverbs 20, verse 6, and then we'll weave all three of those together. Proverbs 20, verse 6 says, Many a man proclaims his own steadfast love. But a faithful man, who can find? Okay, this explains why most of us have fewer friends than we expect that we would. Plenty of us in the room would say, yeah, I've got a few close friends and and, and I love that. And some of us in the room would say, I really thought I would have more friends than I do at this phase in my life. Like I thought, you know, my whole life I'd have 5, 10, 15, 20 people that were close to me that I was always hanging around. I thought it would be like college forever. Why is it so hard to find a good friend? Well, the proverb says why. Because almost anybody will say, I got your back, right? You ever hear anybody say, I don't have your back, right? Nobody says that, right? Everybody says, I got your back, And most people mean it, right? Most people think of themselves as loyal people. Many will proclaim their steadfast love and say they have your back. But a faithful person, someone who is really there when you need them, someone who keeps that promise to have your back, that's rare and that's hard to find. That's why we don't all have 10, 15, 20 close, loyal friends. Because if you have even one person like that in your life, you have found someone so rare that they are as valuable as gold. So if you've got someone in your life, maybe a companion you spend time with, somebody at work, a family member, a teacher, someone in your life who hears that you are headed to the hospital or to the airport and their impulse is, oh, do you need a ride? Can I give you a ride? Or someone who... uh, knows that you're sick and they bring soup over to your house or the person you're dating breaks up with you and they come over and they're like hey I'm taking you out let's let let's cheer you up let's have a good time Uh, or when you when you have a baby and you're exhausted and they just come over and they say all right let me watch the baby for a couple hours you rest go to a coffee shop or or take a nap or Later on, when when your husband dies, they call you every week for a year to check on you. You have found someone more valuable than gold, right? A friend who is faithful and loyal like that when you need them. That is rare, a faithful man who can find. The Bible gives us some examples of this also in stories. And one of the things that you see when you look at all the stories together is that people that you have other relationships with can also be your friend. So 
Your parents can be your mother and father and also your friend. Or you can be married and have a spouse that is not your friend. Or you can be married and have a spouse that is your friend, like the lovers in Song of Solomon that say, my beloved, my friend, right? Uh, We see that come to life in many different ways. Even someone who should be your rival that you work with can be your friend. This happened between David and Jonathan. Uh, Jonathan was the son of King Saul, and uh, he was, by all accounts we can look at, the heir, the one who was in line to the throne to be king, except that the prophet Samuel had gone and found this shepherd boy named David, who was the youngest in his family and small and ready and no business being a king, and the prophet had anointed him to be the next king instead. So that means Jonathan doesn't get to be king. It's going to go to David next. You would think that would cause a blood rivalry between the two of them. But instead, the Spirit of God knits Jonathan and David's hearts together as friends. And Jonathan helps David escape the wrath of his father Saul, who is clinging on to the throne. And when Jonathan dies in battle, David weeps and he says boldly, Your love for me was better than the love even of women. You were so loyal and faithful to me. That's more than just a co-soldier fighting alongside of you. That's that's a friend. That's what David had in Jonathan. There's a story that one of our ladies' Bible studies is going into soon, the story of a a woman named Naomi who was married, and uh, a famine fell upon the land of Israel, and so she and her husband moved away to Moab uh, because there's food there. And while they were there, uh, their sons married Moabite women, which you're not supposed to do because they worship other gods, and then now you're mixing God idols in the house. You're not supposed to do that, but they do it anyway. Uh, And then tragedy strikes. Her husband dies, and her sons die. And so it's her, her two daughters-in-law, and she has nothing to offer them. And so she says, well, I'm going to go home, and, you know, Israel treats uh, the homeless very well, and I have no one and nothing there, but I'll go there, and you two stay here and and find husbands here in Moab. Uh, And the first daughter-in-law weeps and then walks away and says, okay. And the other daughter-in-law named Ruth says, charge me not to leave you. I will go where you will go, right? That's more than a daughter-in-law, isn't it? That's a friend. That's, that's loyalty. Yeah. Uh, we see it as well in teacher and student relationships. Elijah and Elisha, two similar sounding names and really pretty similar men in their spirit and their power. The mighty prophet Elijah is doing great miracles and the Lord calls a young man named Elisha to be one of his students. And Elisha is always there by his side. He is loyal to him. Anything that is needed, he's going there and serving him. We see some stories of that. And at the end of Elijah's life, he is, he is walking to a place and he knows when he gets there, the Lord is going to take him up into heaven. So his time is over. It's a very dramatic scene where you know that life is coming to an end. And they are walking there together. And Elijah stops and he says, Elisha, you wait here and I will go. And then my life will end. And Elisha says, no, I'm, I'm not stopping. I'm coming with you. I'll be with you to the end. And so they walk a little more. And a second time, Elijah stops. He says, okay, you wait here and I'll go by myself the rest of the way. And again, Elisha says, no, you won't go by yourself. I will be with you all the way to the end. And so they walk a little farther. And a third time, Elijah stops and says, okay, for real this time. You wait here, 
I will go by myself to the end. And Elisha says, you don't get it, do you? No, I'm not stopping. And they walk together all the way to the very end. Fifty of the sons of the prophets watch from a distance. Fifty other of Elijah's students watch from a distance. And one of them stays by his side all the way to the end. That's more than a student, isn't it? That is, that is a friend. And a faithful friend like that is, it's rare. So if you've got somebody like that in your life, maybe as I told some of those stories, you're thinking about somebody you know who's just been loyal to you when you needed them. It's God who put that person in your life. And people like that are rare. So look to God and thank him. God, you've given me a gift in that friend. And hang on to that friend. Hang on to that friendship because you have a good thing. And be as loyal to them as you can with God's help and return to them the loyalty you have. There's the first strand in the braid. It is loyalty. Let's move on to the second one, forgiveness. We only have one proverb about forgiveness. It is Proverbs 17.9. It says this, Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. Uh, that word for covering an offense, it's used elsewhere uh, just a, as a kind of a picture of forgiving something. Like, that's covered, don't worry about it, right? Uh, David says this when he says in Psalm, I think, 32, he says, you forgave your people's transgressions, you covered their iniquities, like Sagan and Peril. It just means to forgive somebody when they have done wrong. And what the proverb is saying here that is that when people who know each other in a relationship forgive each other, when one forgives the other, that brings them closer together. You do that even as a way of seeking love because it will strengthen your love for each other. But by contrast, the person who instead of forgiving goes and, and tells everybody what the person did to them, uh, repeating the matter over to this person and that person and that person, that separates friendships instead. It separates even close friends. So we draw from that really simply that forgiveness brings friends closer and gossip drives them apart. Forgiveness brings friends closer and gossips, gossip drives them apart. So let's say you're uh, somebody you live with, your roommate or uh, your spouse if you're married or if you're living in your parents' house, your brother or sister or somebody comes home and they've been having a bad day. Uh, and they come home and just in bad spirits, just, just kind of bark at you, you know, ooh, ooh, okay, all right, what a bad day, yikes. Uh, and then an hour later, they come back and they say, I'm so sorry, like, I, I should not talk to you like that. I'm just glad I get to come home to somebody warm who cares about me. Uh, and, and you say, I, I forgive you. Now, if they mean it and, and they're earnestly broken over their sin against you and, and mean it when they say they're sorry. And if, and if you mean it earnestly when you say, I forgive you, I'm not going to hold that against you. I say this because we're really good at faking both, aren't we? But if they mean it and if you mean it, uh, that will bring a friendship closer than it was before they came home, right? Now you're closer than you were before they sinned against you. And that's the amazing thing about this. If you have relationships with other people, you've probably figured out you're going to sin against them. They're going to sin against you, right? And even without sinning, you're going to do irritating things that annoy them, and they're going to do irritating things that annoy you. And the beauty of the Lord's teaching here is that 
if you can reconcile and forgive one another, that can actually strengthen your friendship rather than your sins against each other driving you farther and farther apart from each other. On the other hand, if you decide uh, you're still going to hold a grudge against that roommate, brother, sister, uh, spouse who came home and barked at you, uh, and you just get out the group text thread, the one that everybody but them is on, you know, that one, and you're like, you will not believe what he said to me when he came home. And then you fire up your family text thread, and you would not believe what he said to me when he came home. And then you find some other text thread that these people don't even know the person, and you're telling them exactly what they did to you, and you're repeating this over and over to everyone, gossiping against them, damaging their reputation with words designed to hurt that will separate even the closest of spouses and the closest of friends. Forgiveness will bring us closer together, but gossip drives even close friends far from each other. So if you're in a group of friends and you're sitting around and you, uh, you know, you make, you're all making jokes, you're all laughing, and you throw in a joke and you realize, ooh, that was a little too far. I think that, I think that hurt my friend. Uh, and then you say, even in the middle of the conversation, hey, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. And they say, you know what? Don't worry about it. Uh, you're closer now than you were before you made that joke. That's the, the beauty of, of this. Uh, or to speak to a much more serious issue, uh, if you slide into a season of, of depression and, and you handle it poorly, if you've ever been through that, you know you can handle it well or you can handle it poorly. Let's say you handle it poorly, you alienate people who just, just don't handle it well at all. And then two months later, you come back to those friends that you had pushed away and you say, I'm so sorry. I, I should not have pushed you all away. I should have let you help me. Uh, and they say, we just want you to be okay. We just, we love you. Uh, that will bind friends closer together than you even were in the first place. And that's why one of the cords that binds friendship together is forgiveness. Now to kind of back up and give you the, the full teaching on forgiveness in relationships, the Lord tells us to forgive as we have been forgiven. If, if we're believers in Jesus, the Lord has forgiven us. We've turned back to him, he forgives us. Uh, and that means there are essentially three ways that it can go when someone sins against you. Uh, the first is what the scriptures and, and people of old would call forbearance, and we would just call bearing with or putting up with. Uh, if you have a close friendship or relationship with someone, or if you sit next to somebody at work, you probably know that there are little things that they do that you don't like that just aren't worth bothering with, right? If, you're, if your roommate forgets to take the trash out, it's probably not worth the strain on your relationship to go confront them about that. It's probably best to just pick up the trash, throw it in the dumpster, and, and be on your way. Uh, or if your spouse's breath stinks in the morning, um, guess what? Yours does too. So probably best to just not worry about that, right? There are little things that you just forbear, you bear with. You choose not to be offended by small and, and not big sins that people commit, or even just annoyances that people have. So that's forbearance. That's the first option. Sometimes, though, it gets to be a big enough deal that you, you, you can't choose not to be offended, right? Like, it offended you, and, and that's where we are. And if that's the case, if you're offended, best thing to do is go to them and say, hey, when you did this, like, I, I believe it was wrong, and it was hurtful to me, and here's why. 
And the thing you're hoping for is that they, with a priority on your relationship, will, will see that they've done wrong and then apologize to you, say, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? And then you can forgive them. And that's what this proverb's talking about, right? So you, you reconcile uh, when something is, is a little too big to just ignore and not be offended by. Third thing that may happen is it may be a big deal. Uh, you may go and talk to them about it and try to reconcile. And one way or another, you can tell they are not willing to turn from this sin. E- either they just flat out say, you know what, I don't care. Or you can tell they're faking repentance. A lot of times manipulative and abusive people will pretend to turn from their sins to try to get what they want, but you can tell it's not real. And this is someone who is choosing not to reconcile with you. And they're either voicing that or they're faking it, and you can tell. And that's someone who is choosing not to be your friend. They are choosing to remain your enemy by not reconciling with you. And the teaching that Jesus gives us there is love your enemies and pray for those who curse you. So someone who won't reconcile with you, someone who won't come back, what do you do? You do the same thing the Lord does. He waters the crops of the just and the unjust. He is so generous to his enemies. And so you may not be able to reconcile, you may not be able to rebuild that friendship, you may not be able to have what we would often call forgiveness and full reconciliation, because they're choosing to remain your enemy, but you can love your enemies. So those are kind of the three options that we have, imitating God, forgiving as we have been forgiven. Some things we just don't worry about because it's not worth the strain on the relationship to talk about. Some things we address and then we forgive and reconcile. And sometimes someone chooses to remain our enemy and we say, I love you, I love you, I will bless you and be generous to you. That's the, the broader scriptural teaching on how to forgive. The point in this proverb is that when we can do that, it strengthens friendship. So if you've got a friend and you can think of a time you wronged them and they forgave you, I hope that warms your heart toward them. I hope that makes you say, I'm hanging on to that friend. They're good to me. That, that friend knows what I did and they forgave me. And it's God who put that person in your life. And if we're honest, forgiving people are, are rare, right? And so we thank God and say, God, it's you who gave me that friend. Thank you. And we see even the picture of the kind of friend we want to be loyal and forgiving. So there are two of the strands in the the braid, loyalty and forgiveness. The third strand is gracious words. We'll walk a little more quickly through these last four Proverbs. Let's look at 21.11 first. It says, he who loves purity of heart and whose speech is gracious will have the king as his friend. So this is someone who speaks from a pure heart. That means there are not mixed motives in their heart. You you aren't worried about them telling you one thing when they're thinking another thing, or you're not saying, okay, that's the half of the story they're telling me, but what are they hiding from me? This is someone whose words you know are earnest and that you can trust. But it's not a blunt, rude, I tell it like it is honesty. No, it also, the second line says their speech is, is gracious. So they have a way of keeping their words earnest, but also saying it with a, a gracious seasoning, a love for you. They weren't waiting to slip the knife in on you or to hit you with their words, but their words have a grace and a love for you. So both true and gracious, earnest and gracious. It's hard to find people like that, isn't it? 
And that is why even the CEO of the company, even the president, even the people up at the state house are looking for people like that to be their friend. If you can learn to speak earnestly and speak graciously, even the king might be seeking you out to be his friend. Because it's hard to find people who speak earnestly and graciously. Second Proverbs, Proverbs 27.9 says, Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. If you watch the NFL playoffs, you might remember that evidently the world thinks that what smells like good perfume is Johnny Depp in a desert with a pack of wolves. Anybody see that madness? <laughs> the sage knows, though, what really smells like a friend? What really smells like good perfume? What should they really be putting on the perfume commercials? The sweet counsel of an earnest friend. That smells like a well-made fragrance. That you inhale and you say, ah, yeah, that was good. The opposite of this is said in Proverbs eleven twelve. Whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense. But a man of understanding remains silent. The way of the world is in a group to try to earn everybody's respect by lifting yourself up and putting the other guy down, right? If you can make more fun of the other guy than he can make of you, then you're above him and you're on top. And this is how we get ahead in the world. Uh, this is not talking about uh, good-natured teasing. You know, two friends that are very secure in their relationship, so they tease each other a little bit and nobody's feelings hurt. It's not talking about that. It's not talking about couples who flirt and have a good time and laugh together. It's not talking about that. Uh, no, it's talking about someone whose words genuinely belittle their neighbor. Like you say something that lowers them in the eyes of others or hurts them and cuts them to the core. Now, sometimes those flirtatious relationships and those uh, teasing friendships can go that direction. But the idea here is, are your words putting somebody else down to lift yourself up? Uh, that's the world's way of getting ahead in relationships. But the sage here says, that's what fools do. So if you do that, you're, you're lacking sense. What do the wise do? Well, the wise have the ability with their words to think of what the insult would be and the self-control to not say it. Right? They can think of what it would be. And that's not just wisdom with words, but control of the tongue. And really, the two are one. And so the one that belittles their neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. So you want to you kind of get ahead in those friendships, build friends, be the one respected in the room. It's not putting the person down that will do it. No, it's gracious, earnest speech that will do it. And similarly then, in Proverbs 15.1, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. So when we're talking about friendships, if, if you've been close with people, you know that there are those pivotal moments in your friendship or relationship, pivotal moments in your marriage, where it kind of feels like there's a bomb in the room and the bomb is either going to get defused or the bomb is going to go off, right? Like the direction of this relationship might hinge on how we handle this conversation. It's that tense. And what the sage is saying here is that a soft word in that fight, in that tense moment, will defuse the bomb. 
but a harsh word will hit the detonator. And so what brings friendships closer together than earnest and gracious words? Harsh words, on the other hand, tear friends apart. So we see there that gracious words bind friends together. Careless and harsh words split friends apart. We have an example of this, actually, in, uh, in Job's friends, in the book of Job. I could have used Job's friends earlier as an example of loyalty. If you don't know his story, Job was one of the more rich and powerful men in the ancient world. Uh, he had what everyone that day wanted, which was lots of livestock, lots of servants, lots of children. They were all beautiful. And then in one day, his children died Almost all of his servants died, but a few escaped to come back and tell him. He lost all of his buildings and his property. His wife turned to him and said, curse God and die. And then he sat down and began to develop painful boils and sores all over his body, even losing his health. So he just loses it all. And his friends come and they're there for him. So they get an A for loyalty. And then they, they sit with him in silence to grieve for seven days. So A plus for these guys. It took a week out of their lives to just sit there and not say anything. And then Job opens his mouth first to, to speak. And then they start responding. And this is where the plane just begins to crash. Their message to him is basically, Job, all this stuff wouldn't have happened to you unless you must have done something wrong. So... So what'd you do? Just, I mean, that just slips the knife in to a suffering person. Can you imagine, and, and if this resonates with you, know that my heart goes out to you. Can you imagine if one of your friends loses a child to death and someone else comes over to their house and says, what'd you do? Like, oh, like in the heart, the dagger goes. And that's what his friends say to him. That will drive friendships apart, harsh words, cutting words like that. And those friends are shown later in the book to be the fools that they are. Uh, so harsh words, careless words, insulting words can drive friendships apart. But gracious words, earnest words, good counsel can bring friends together. So when you're giving someone a job reference, and they're your friend, and the interviewer says, okay, what's their greatest weakness? Don't you love that question? Oh, I don't, by the way. Anyway, uh, and you're thinking, all right, how am I going to say this? Uh, a good friend answers graciously, honestly, but graciously. We all have flaws, right? A bad friend has been waiting for a chance to slip the knife in and says, oh, I am so glad you asked, all right? Uh, if you go and do something dumb, a good friend will find you and will give earnest, gracious counsel. Say, friend, let me show you a better way. A bad friend will come and find you because they have been waiting to tell you what a fool you are. Right? There's no graciousness in those words. They've been waiting to belittle you. And so we see there then the third core that ties friends together, and it's, it's gracious words. Gracious words bind friends together. Careless, insulting, belittling words split relationships apart. So there are the three strands then in the braid. If you want your friendships tighter, man, loyalty, friendship, and gracious words will bind friends together tightly. 
but I've saved the best part for last. Yeah. I imagine everything I've said so far is fairly easy to believe, right? Might feel like common sense. Yeah, it really does work that way. Here is something, though, that is hard to believe and even better. Uh, Imagine this. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, uh, the, the greatest pickle you were ever in, the greatest hardship you were ever in, the friend you have in Jesus came and and rescued you from something greater. Right? Like when you were when you were dangling over the fires of hell just by a thread. He's the loyal friend that came and said, I will go suffer alongside him, I will go suffer for her and pulled you out. The best most loyal friend you've ever had. Everyone in this room either has in Jesus Christ or can have today in Jesus Christ. If you think of the worst thing that someone on earth has ever forgiven you for, some of you are looking back on friends in your life thinking, I can't believe that person forgave me for that. Whoever the most forgiving friend you have ever had was, our friend Jesus Christ looked to you while you were still a sinner and forgave you for even more. He's the one who is truly forgiving. He is the one that shows us what forgiveness looks like, who has been offended more than you have ever offended anyone else in life, and who would look to you and say, I will reconcile with you. I stand ready with my hands open to forgive. He is a good friend. And when you have heard good, earnest words of counsel, some of you know what it's like to go to a friend and get good advice, and man, that does smell sweet, doesn't it? The words that Jesus gives us in his scriptures, coming straight from his very heart, give better guidance for life than we could ever get from a good friend, and are said more graciously and beautifully than we could ever hear them from anyone else or say them from anyone else. So who is the one who is most loyal to? Who's the most loyal friend that you have? And who is the most forgiving friend that you have? And who gives the best and most gracious counsel to you straight from his heart? The best friend you could ever have. Christian, you already have him. And his name is Jesus Christ. That means for those of you who are choosing to walk in your own ways and choosing to remain his enemy, saying, I don't want to go back and live under your lordship. I don't want to be reconciled to you as friend. I'm going to keep going my own way. You have before you today a better friend than you have ever had who has his arms stretched wide open to you and just says, come to me and receive me. And so I call you, come, come to him. He is a better friend than you would ever find. Receive him. Some of you are rejoicing to think of friends in the past or looking at your life now and saying, I wish I had a friend like that. And if you're a believer in Jesus, I want you to know you do. The best friend you could ever imagine, you already have in Jesus Christ. And finally, some of you are thinking, I wish I had a good picture of friendship like this. Like, I want to be a good friend to so-and-so. Uh, Who did it well? Who can I follow? Whose ways can I follow? And you have the example already in our friend, Jesus Christ. So set your eyes on him and look to him. Let's pray together.